not here to check boxes. I'm here to actually build a group of people that want to do this for one another as much as they want to do it for themselves. And so we actually have balanced things quite well, but the CEO, the COO, and the chief innovation officer are all women. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting? And that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM, which just helps also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com leaders to learn more. Hello, leaders of B2B. I know you're listening out there. I'm really excited to have one of our own here today. Cindy Jordan is the CEO of Pix Health. She's in Tucson, Arizona, and I'm very excited to know that we are talking to her on her 50th birthday. So happy birthday, Cindy. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for spending some of your time with us. You should have taken a day I'm off. Not- That's what my kids always <laughs> say. And I say, you know, the older you get, the less special birthdays are, but... Uh, we're still happy with that. So I would love if you would do a proper introduction of yourself and your company. I always like to hand it over. Oh, thanks. I am taking off at the end of the week, so but today is a work day, but thank you. So my name is Cindy Jordan, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Pix Health. Pix Health is a company that solves for loneliness and social isolation. You know, I know that sounds like a lofty goal, but we do it expressly through the healthcare system. And I know that we'll talk about that in a little bit. So very much a B2B play. I do think someone probably could have raised a bazillion dollars and taken our solution direct to consumer. But but I feel very, very passionately that healthcare needs to start embracing loneliness as a chronic condition. So we made a very deliberate choice to go B2B with this. It all started because my stepdaughter, who suffers from bipolar and really has since high school, um, in 2017, had a horrible year. Uh, she overutilized the ED, and we didn't know because she was an adult. There was all kinds of other problems in there, and she ended up in an inpatient facility. And when we kind of got through it as a family, I went to her and I said, can you please tell me what we're missing? What's the early warning detection? And she said, it starts with a profound sense of loneliness. And so I started doing research about like what we're doing in this country and what more, most particularly what is healthcare doing as an institution around loneliness. And, and, and at that point it was absolutely nothing. And frankly, still today it's very little. So 
That's why Pix was born. This is my second company. My first one, if you would have asked me, oh, are you going to do another healthcare IT startup? I would have said absolutely no way, shape or form. But this one is really mission driven. It's incredibly important to me that we we try to find a solution for this. My my stepdaughter actually passed away uh, not not too long ago, and it it's become even more important to me that that you know this this is her legacy, and we're here to build it to to make sure that we can stop other families from having to feel what we felt, and frankly to to end the idea that you know it's acceptable for twenty six year olds you know, to pass away from, from these kind of um, ailments. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's so much there and uh, mental health being, you know, continually, I think a lot of us are advocates to try to push it to the top of the heap and, and, you know, people emotionally are, uh, and then the pandemic, you know, it's sort of like, it's just a, it's a pervasive problem, particularly in the U S and uh, you know, I'm interested to see that you think of it from a, like a social network context and and yet we know that you know people who sit around on facebook all day are like the most lonely you know it's just like totally paradoxical so you must have had to done a lot of social uh, psycho psychological sort of research here and just even think like how do we how do we tackle that and uh, i love those market research and preparation stories because you can have a passionate idea and just have no idea how to solve it so you know what <laughs> yeah. was that like well, I mean, to answer your question, solving loneliness with technology is incredibly counterintuitive, right? Like, to your point, we've all seen the social dilemma. How how could I even purport that using technology is going to solve this problem? And then for us, we very deliberately use the technology for scale because the problem is so pervasive. But I'm, I'm very much what you would call a tech-enabled services company. I employ a whole slew of people that we call Andy, and it stands for authentic, nurturing, dependable, your friend. And when the technology throws up algorithms that people are chronically lonely, intermittently lonely, if they have urgent social determinants of health needs like food and housing, if they're depressed, then the people get involved. And so I call it the peanut butter and chocolate solution. You 100% cannot solve loneliness with an app. But you need that app because unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma around saying you're lonely because people who are suffering from chronically lonely likely live with other people, likely have jobs and friends. And because loneliness is this understanding that that the burden you're carrying, no one can identify with. It is not actually about being alone. And so there's stigma. I heard someone say that, uh, I guess it was Michael Phelps, he was saying that a lot of mental health issues that he's experienced start with loneliness, right? And that's because no one understands Michael's burden. Just the same that I could not understand Riley, my stepdaughter's burden. You know, she would always say that no one understands what's going on in her mind. That is the crux of loneliness. And so you need technology because people have to have a safe place to actually say that they're, that they're hurting or they're in need, but you need humans. And so without the humans, I don't think we would be having the success we're having. Yeah, it's like you can use the technology for the diagnostics to look for exactly. patterns, which you, you know, you could go to a doctor and you can take your sort of, uh, you know, your standard test for yes. depression. And they go, hey, everything's cool. All right, good job. You know, well, you only scored a one on that one, but the rest are five. So we'll average that out. And, you know, it's just we have this blunt set of instruments out there 
to deal with mental health. And so uh, that makes a ton of sense. And, and you'd have to, I guess, generate a lot of, of data. So uh, what compels a person to regularly check in with an app in the first place? Nothing. I mean, Nothing. in fact, <laughs> in fact, you could look at utilization studies. This idea that humans will reach into technology when they need help is absurd. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't well, work. Well, spoken like an entrepreneur. So. There you go. Um, I just saw a study. It's interesting you bring this up two days ago. It was conducted in 2019, and it, it looked at 64 health and wellness apps and then 10,000 people, and less than 3% of people will use an app for 30 days. So it's what I call the reach in. So we do it very differently. We do reach out, right? So if we can get you on the platform even just once, we're not gonna let you go off into the way. We're not gonna just send texts. We're not gonna just send push notifications saying, hey, we're here, come back. We actually engage the human beings to make sure you're okay. And if you get on the phone, you're like, hey, you know, I thought I needed this platform, but I really don't. I'm fine, blah, 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 fine. You know, my goal is not to get you to use the platform for a year. It's to find people who are chronically lonely and move them through that. Right, right. And what, I, I'm sure this is complicated and or potentially proprietary, but I mean, how do you even measure a level of loneliness? Like what are the signals for, for that? Well, we use a lot of, you know, science-based evidence screenings like the UCLA loneliness screening, but we also use the things that we've learned now having been in the market for three years, like what time of the day do they use it? You know, if people are on between 12 and 5 a.m., their degree of loneliness is, is very high because sleeplessness is one of the first symptoms. The one thing about the bot, because I call him an empathetic learner, he's not a machine learning that gives off... Uh, things to do based on your disease state or diagnosis, he actually starts to learn around you as a, as a person on an individual letter, level. And whatever the Andes find out also feeds the bot. So if I'm talking to you on the phone and you tell me you have a dog named Rocco, the bot is going to now have that information. So we, so he's funny and he'll give jokes and we can start to, we'll track if you are responding negatively to those jokes, or if you like them, or you like dog jokes, but you hate jokes around about, you know, families. And so the algorithm just tracks everything and says, oh my gosh, this person's in trouble. Some of it's latent data. Some of it's obviously uh, member reported data, but that's, that, that's how we figure it out. So how'd you conceptualize the humanized bot? Uh, you know, there's all the chat about, you know, well, should Alexa be a girl or, you know, what about a man voice and different cultures and the whole thing? You had to humanize your your person and or persona and you call it a he. So, you know, what was that process like? Because that's that's an interesting topic in uh, social news now. Yeah, well, firstly, the first iteration of the platform got released Gosh, it's so funny that all these things are happening on my birthday. Got released on my 46th birthday. And I asked 300 of my closest family and friends to try it, right? And so I get onto the platform. I've just spent all this money, maybe, I don't know, 450 grand to build this thing. And in 10 minutes, I'm like, this thing sucks. Like, <laughs> why would anyone come back? It was just very static, very content driven, very, very healthcare. And, and so I, I was basically like, we, we, if we're going to be another healthcare platform, we're going to fail. And so 
it was a couple weeks later in the middle of the night, I woke up and I'm like, you know, we've got to give our technology a personality and it's got to be driven by empathy. And so I call it empathetic technology and Pixar was born. And so my designer and I went back and forth and, and I, I love that movie, um, uh, Wally, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, you know how those characters were so warm and inviting and they had hearts. And so that's where we came up with Pixar. He became a he because our members told us that. We did not give him a gender, but overwhelmingly people would write or call and say, I love him. He's so nice to me. Like, so he, he was driven by them, but there's, there's all kinds of things. People are like, why don't you give him arms? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And, you know, at some point you just have to be like, this is who he is. This is what he does. And this is what we're going to put into the market. And I think, um, I think if overthinking it kills it. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's fascinating. I mean, you know, and that's absolutely right. And sometimes the things I find as an entrepreneur, the the things you take for granted are what the users or, you know, your customers sort of gravitate to. And it's like, that's interesting or that feels engaging to me. And it's almost always something that I wrote off as the the afterthought, <laughs> you know, that you know, when I was trying to be all smart and, you know, solve people's problems, they go, no, 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 that piece, that's cool. <laughs> well, that's the part I didn't even think about. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I think that that's the entrepreneur's curse. One, we overbuild in the beginning and two, we don't listen because we, we have an idea. And so, you know, for me, I've been, it's both been hurtful in my career, but now has been very good in my career. I, I really, I'm not, I'm not our typical member. And so what I like and what I think and what I want to do, that's not important. Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah. You are not your user. You are not your customer, right. which then of course leaves you the spot of like, well, I need to go find someone who is, or might be, or approximates this average uh, user and no, no user or customer is average. So <laughs> yeah, then you're sort of running around and around and customer discovery is a, is a real thing. I, I guess the benefit of a, a data platform in this way is that you you get a lot of, uh, I like might say latent feedback or sort of shat, shadow feedback. Is people I, I can use analytics, I can see how people use it, um, all those things. That would not necessarily be the case without copious note taking and uh, recordings or whatever on the services side when you have uh, you know sort of the broad range of human discussion happening. So. You're totally dealing with uh, two very different poles of of data. There, how do you normalize the the experience of talking with your um, Andes? Is that what you call them? Yeah. So that's a great question, and I think a lot of people really overlook that because when you're talking about a machine learning platform like we have, the typical way to do it is teach the bot libraries of information, and then a human comes in and says, "Oh, the bot got that wrong, that right," and the human fixes it. We don't do that. Our bot is completely, you know, there's obviously a baseline, but he, he completely evolves based on what the Andes learn. And so the, the answer to your question is we didn't normalize it for the first two years because I didn't know what to normalize it to. We just let the Andes do their thing and we let the bot do their thing. And then trends started coming out, right? I could, I could see, you could see where the long poles were. And, and so we built we built the platform on one cohesive code base. And so 
so now I know what to normalize. And so when someone, when an Andy is engaging, there's a way to take all of these notes about a person's world and actually put them into the machine learning algorithm. And it's not creepy because my algorithm for Cindy Jordan would not be your algorithm. Like the bot learns on me, not, not for the whole, not for the whole good. Right. And, and so it's not going to, I love dogs. You might love cats and, and you know, it's not going to, it's not going to try to feed you the stuff that it, that it feeds me because it learned around me as an individual. And you don't take the aggregate learnings uh, from dog lovers. We do. We for sure do. I mean, of course we have to take aggregate, particularly when you're talking about new features and stuff, but, but really the reason, you know, I told you the study about 3%. Well, for us, our 30 day average is 70%. And that's higher than Weight Watchers. And, and the reason is, is because that bot cares about Cindy. It does not care about the fact that I'm diagnosed with depression and I'm feeling lonely. Those things come in because it's smart and it gives self-management and everything we do like is overseen by a clinician and based in positive psychology. But that does, it doesn't feel that way in your user experience. Wow. That's really cool. That's really cool. So Take me through the entrepreneurial journey to get there. I read a little bit on your your bio. You kind of stepped through a lot of things, as uh, many of us uh, Renaissance entrepreneurs do. I think that's the fancy way of saying we weren't really sure what to do with ourselves, so we kept trying stuff. But um, yeah, I'd love to, you know, because you brought a bunch of things from your past together, kept learning, kept building, and and here you are. So give us the highlights. I mean, the first you know, right out of college, I was a police officer in the Washington DC area. And I look back now and I didn't understand it then because I was 21, but I look back now and I feel like I've always had a, a sincere draw to help people. Unfortunately, and this may be an unpopular view, but I'm not sure that profession is actually designed to help people, at least when I was there. It was designed to clean up kind of you know, mitigate, but not to get ahead of problems. And I found that extraordinarily frustrating. Plus I did not thrive all that well in a paramilitary organization. <laughs> like, you know, the idea that you report to someone just because they have more time on than you, but, um, but I learned a lot. And one of the things that I would say that at the age of 21, I learned from being a cop was, a was emotional intelligence. So if you think about this idea that you show up People, there's a big family fight. It's Christmas Eve. Someone's throwing the Christmas tree at someone else. There's shattered glass everywhere. You maybe have five seconds to figure out a situation and find a solution that's de-escalating. And so I always say now, you know, something bad happens here. Let's say the system crashes and the whole team goes into a frenzy. And I'm like, guys, let me tell you about the day I got stabbed in my ankle. <laughs> that's a bad day. Like, so, so what being a cop taught me that has helped me in, in being an entrepreneur is about perspective. But then I went from there and started using my degree in political fundraising in DC. I loved that. Again, you're talking about connecting emotionally. When you talk about B2B sales, there's no, there's no better way to be adept at that than raise money for a candidate or a cause. And uh, I loved that. But I eventually got basically kind of just like disenfranchised with the scene. And so I moved out here to Tucson and worked for an ad agency as their lead strategist and took and really just took many, many companies that came to us and helped them do what I'm doing for myself. And one day I just said, 
you know, and I think women do this a lot is that I said, why not me? Like, you know, sure. I don't have any money. I had never made more than $75,000 a year when I started my first business, but why not me? And so that is that that's how I kind of got going. And essentially I would just show up anywhere, family barbecue, baby showers, <laughs> you know, graduations. And I would tell people about what I wanted to do. And before you know it, I picked up some inertia and we were able to, to launch the first company. Yeah. I, I love that. It's like, uh, obviously telling is selling, you know, telling everybody selling. needs to know. And, and of course you're going to drown in a little of the mentor whiplash, you know, sort of feedback and, um, uh, a fair number of people tell you you're nuts, but, uh, you know, you keep trying and keep, keep getting after it. And, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, I am a big fan of, you know, sort of why not me, you know, it, all of us feel pretty dumb when we start off and don't even know how to file, you know, the paperwork for your, your company or, or how to keep, uh, you know, a proper cash flow register. But, you know, if, if you have a basic sense of how the world works, you can, you can kind of go, oh, okay, well, that was dumb. I'm not going to do that again. And, um, and at the second time you do it, then you kind of go, yeah, I remember how dumb that was. I'm, I'm still not going to do that again. So. Well, you know, and also there's something about the first company. Cause now that I've this, I'm on my second one where ignorance is bliss. If I, I almost just didn't care what anyone said and didn't, didn't pay attention to the stats of failure or anything like that. I just believed that, that what we had was smart. And if we were good people and hired good people that we would be able to get it somewhere. And I think you and I were talking about this off camera. My first company was a solid double. It for sure in no way, shape or form was a home run. I never referred to it as a unicorn. I think that is a curse. If you start doing that about your own company. Um, but you know what? It was a wild success for me to just go because now, now I have swag, right? Now I'm like, oh yeah, I can do this, right? Now there's some swag and that in sales and in life and in being an entrepreneur, swag is the key. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And since you did come, uh, I'm interested, you came through, I'm not going to say a sales experience, but it's a sales experience, yeah. you know, what, what you did and sales and strategy. Do you think that's pivotal? I, I meet a lot of founders who have not had any of that type of experience. I just find that that would be a hell of an uphill. And when I, when I first started doing this in earnest, you know, 15 years ago, I just hired a bunch of people and I thought, well, the phone's <laughs> going to ring and this is great because we're so smart. And we wrote a website about it. <laughs> you know, people, can't wait for people to start calling. Uh, and that's where I figured out sales. It was like, oh, wait a second. You know, we need revenue. And I, never, I just kept doing it. <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring it up because I just took some private equity money in March. And one of the things, because they do, they made me take like re ridiculously hours long personality tests and all kinds of things. But one of the things that they wrote in kind of the dossier afterwards is like, Cindy's a CEO who sells. And I, and I, st I promise you this morning at first thing in the morning at 8am on my birthday, I was on a sales call. And so I'm not saying that you can't be successful as an entrepreneur who doesn't sell, but I don't see another way. Um, I think it's, there's something powerful about being the inventor and the salesperson. Now where it gets in the way is when I hired my first salesperson who, who I met at the advisory board, who is my, one of my closest, dearest, most wonderful friends. And she's been here almost 
from the beginning, we'd show up on sales pitches and she would do it not the way I would do it. <laughs> and so I'd be like, I mean, literally kind of like biting my, you know? So what you have to do if you are a CEO who sells is realize that other people can sell it as well as you can. And you have to give them the freedom to do that. But I will never stop selling. I mean, I can't. It's it's just in my blood. It's the deal. And I love it. And if I didn't do it, I just don't, I would feel disconnected. I mean, how else do I hear what the buyers want and what they're objecting to and how to get around it if I'm not there? Right, right. Now, you must have not only enhanced your sales team around you because you ran out of bandwidth, but you must have some type of operator, executor, uh, someone, COO, president, something of that nature that you had to either find or, you know, inherit from your network. Uh, otherwise, it, you can't go sell all the time because you got a company to run. So you're a selling CEO. Uh, therefore, where where, and how did you build and who? how did you build this extra piece of the company? Because at some point you just say, well, somebody needs to run this while I sell it. Right. So... I, I don't I read this Harvard Business Review. I actually really love the Harvard Business Review. And I read an article about CEOs and COOs, and they analyzed all of these dynamic duos in, you know, Dell, you name it, right? And essentially the whole article, I'm gonna give it to you. Ready? Uh, CEOs and COOs are like lovebirds. They mate for life and you can only have one partner. Like <laughs> you if you're an awesome COO, you're and it has a lot to do with your CEO and vice versa. Being a great CEO is because I have an incredibly strong COO and we're really made for each other. And so I actually went into my network, someone I had worked with before, ran into them at a benefit dinner. And it was like somebody hit me upside the back of the head. I'm like, oh, I, I need her to work for us. So I recruited her and recruited her because she had a huge corporate job and I had run rate for three months. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so it was not an easy sell, but you're right. I wouldn't be here today had she not come. And she came on when there was four of us. And that's another thing is that maybe four or six of, I think six of us, but now there's 76 of us. And without her there, you're right. Doing all the selling, the wheels would have come off the bus, you know? Yeah. Yeah, scaling the operation and delivery and customer success. And I mean, you name it, like, yes, the revenue function is huge. But if you sell yourself out of business, that's not going to do you any favors either, no, because you always got to deliver it before you get paid. Thank you. It's, so it's, me, it's, it's cash flow. The sale. It's been about the delivery of the promise. Plus, you, you remember, we have a nationwide call center that's seven days a week, and that is no operational that's not for the weak of heart you know yeah that's that is not a picnic to run uh <laughs> yeah and, and and u.s based to boot so yeah that's that's really interesting when you look at that uh pillaging of your network i've done i've done the same thing and i, I think of it as and i i notice a pattern with multi-time successful entrepreneurs that they are people collectors yes uh more so than they are, are really uh, maybe not more so. I think there's there's this idea of this, like, all you need to be is the sort of amazing strategic idea, big thinker person, and the rest just happens. I think there's an ignored dimension of this people collecting and that maybe there's the wisdom of having done things a bunch of time, a bunch of times, a bunch of tries, a bunch of failures, et cetera. But I don't think 
maybe that's it, you know, that it is that sort of collection of humans along the way that allows you to shortcut so much. If, if you were, you likely are, you know, going to start your next one, that's your crew and you'll bring the crew along. And I, I've done the same thing. So I don't know, love, love if that resonates with you to have your thoughts. No, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. I think, uh, particularly in the early days, you don't hire for roles. And even now we don't use a traditional org chart that has like reporting structure because then you find that you're hiring for, for two dimensions, you know, instead of three. And so I'll give you an example. Right now we're hiring for a, a, a data scientist and an engineer. And we found this woman who's kind of like a jack of all trades and you know, the bosses of those organizations don't want her to be a jack of all trades. One of them wants a data scientist and one of them wants the engineer, but she's amazing. Like the interview was, you know that you want her in your company. So that's the answer because the org chart doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The people and like the passion, the experience and what they bring every single day. You know, we're very very, very big on culture. I know this, please, I know your audience just threw up in their mouth, but, um, <laughs> but what I mean by that is like, you know, we go through, we went through a regular rigorous kind of exercise where you come up with your beliefs, your behaviors around those beliefs and what you want the outcomes to be. There's no catchphrases, no like silly kind of words, like gratitude, et cetera. Like our beliefs are very concrete. The behaviors that we want are concrete. And so we hire off of those. We say to people, here's our beliefs. Here's the behaviors that come along with them. Can you do that? Because here's where we want to be. And if you can't, I mean, you as a data scientist is almost second to, to this because I can find plenty of people who can aggregate data and put it into a, a, a nice looking chart, right? I can't find a lot of people who are willing to commit to that. So I very, very much agree with you. It is about putting the right people on the bus because it will always work itself out. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have to ask this, even though I, I'm not typically one that thinks about these things, I have to be honest, <laughs> but I look at your team page, you're a technology company and there's one man on it and <laughs> and you're and you're an empathy-based service, you know, tech-enabled service, delivery, there's got to be interesting stuff there to learn from. Well, I did not have enough men. That's actually true. It just sort of, I mean, it literally was organic and was not by, <laughs> and we're actually uh, updating the site. But, you know, I looked at the leadership and it was primarily women and you realize that you're missing out on some important experiences. And so we really made a concerted effort over the last eight months to bring some senior leadership in that were men. When you get down into the rank and file, this is like the complete opposite story, by the way. That is in like every every TechCrunch article just was like, Wur? what? I'm always <laughs> hoping no one watches this because I'm going to get some awful hate mail. Like, no, you're uh, not. I you think know. that's awesome. No, the fact that you're thinking about it in the same way to balance a leadership team, I think, is is absolutely pivotal, and that, that's why I wanted to ask. Yeah, it was important to me. But that said, you know, again, when we took some private equity money. Um, and we were kind of, you know, dating. Um, I actually had a PE firm say to me, there's, you know, there's way too many women. And if we come in, you're, we're going to, we're going to gut that. And I said, well, then there's no chance that you're coming in. You know, the truth is that 
that I'm not here to check boxes. I'm here to actually build a group of people that want to do this for one another as much as they want to do it for themselves. And so we, we, we actually have balanced things quite well, but the CEO, the COO and the chief innovation officer are all women. Yeah. It's, it's awesome to see. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a story to be told on just assembling the group of people that, that resonated you probably did, you know, talk about the assessments. I'm sure you're one who, you know, knows of some kind of predictive index or strengths finder or something of that nature. You strike me that you probably have the grid all mapped out and you balance the strengths of some sort. So uh, what what tooling do you like there? Hold on. I'm going to tell you the exact name because we do these cool personality tests. But we don't we don't just give personality tests. We do it in what, what's called normal state and then under stress. And then we lay them on top of each other as a leadership team. So I don't want someone who looks like me. Like when I get stressed, I go to logic. When my CEO, my COO gets stressed, she goes to people, right? And so that's good because we're balancing each other. That makes sure that when we're making a big decision under stress, we're taking all these things into consideration. So yeah, this this test is, I mean, it's hysterical how much the entire staff has, because we don't just do it for leadership. We do it per department. You know, we... We want everyone engaged with the idea. Hold on, I can grab it and tell you. Oh, here it is. Um, it's called, let's see, HBDI. And I can tell you, it's Applying Whole Brain Thinking. Wow, okay, cool, cool. I don't know this one. I'm, I'm actually a pretty big nerd on this stuff, so you just taught I'll me something new. I'm about to check this out, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very cool. When uh, When my money partners kind of introduced it, I was like, Dear Lord, I do not have time for this, but it has changed. It's changed everything about the way that that we manage. And it goes to the proof that you need lots of people from lots of different walks of life or else you're all going to think the same. And what you should care about is when you when you apply the picture of under stress, because under stress in that war room, you want a lot of varying ideas. If you have a lot of yaysayers, the company's going to fail. Yeah. And you know what I love about that is it's sort of it's sort of blind to how anybody looks and gender and sort of all these things like actually what we're trying to do is to assemble the best possible team that we know can operate under uh, real world business conditions and making the rest of those differences, if you will, uh, maybe a little less relevant. And, and I, I think that's awesome because that's very hard to come by in any kind of, uh, you know, sort of standard diversity and inclusion because uh you know you don't know what things people have been through you know so we over emphasize job experience we underemphasize, you know life experience and collections of activities that you couldn't possibly put a register on uh, until you maybe had a tool like that so props to whoever brought that i think that's that's really interesting and i love that you guys have those cool logos on your are cool like uh, pictures that aren't pictures. They're like these really neat illustrations of the team. So everybody should check that out. Well, uh, so fantastic conversation. I, I love these insights. You have amazing energy. What is next? I always like to you know, put the futurist hat on and, you know, kind of think where are things going? I mean, obviously you're going to cure loneliness and, <laughs> and then what, you know, because there's a lot to do here in the world. Well, I don't want to be done here until there is a billing code for loneliness, because unfortunately in healthcare, you know, the money leads the way, right? So everyone follows the money. So we are working really hard to prove that loneliness is a chronic condition. And if we can get a billing code associated with it, we know that it'll change the whole game. 
Yeah, it sure would. Is it in the DSM? I don't even know. What's DSM? The what's the diagnostic uh, oh, book for mental health? Yeah, not yet. There's codes associated with it softly in Medicare, but right. not not that a whole commercial payer system would glam onto, because you know the truth is providers are not equipped to deal with this. Um, I don't know. Do you watch Stranger Things on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. I always say that we deal with the upside down. The upside we're, down. Right? Yep, we're in the alternate reality that the traditional care setting cares not to look at, you know, or and likes to pretend isn't there. But as we know from the show, oh, it's there, right? And it's coming to get you. And so, um, and those monsters are nasty. They you know? are they right are when they crawl through that hole. Like I could, I, that is a fabulous metaphor. I, I like it a lot. So. so we, um, so that's my first thing. But personally, I mean. Not to bring down the vibe, but I mean, I, I did turn 50. I, we, you know, I did lose my kid a few months ago. I don't, I, I don't need a lot. You know, I, um, I want this to touch everyone, you know, in the world that is lonely and who needs it. And I know that's dramatic and I don't know that that's a unicorn, but it may not be me that makes it such, but I know that I'm going to get it from this point to the next one. And then we'll see. But you know, my kid, I literally started my first company when he was one. Like this is this is all he's known. And and some of me is like, man, you know, I'm I'm he's 13. I don't know. I I have incredible passion. I don't know that I would ever step away altogether, but I I'm not gonna tell you, oh, I can't I'm gonna take this company public and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be 60 <laughs> and I'm gonna be tired and I'm gonna have missed all of this stuff. And so, you know, that's kind of not for me. Oh, I love this like balance and you know, just real life stuff. You just don't hear that enough from founders. I hope everybody is listening. That, that was amazing. I hope it's a graduation speech someday. So well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Cindy, thank you for hanging out. Uh, awesome, oh, awesome episode. Really enjoyed it. And I just, I love the mission. I love the passion. So we will certainly be keeping up with Pix Health. If anybody wants to talk to you, sometimes audience members will reach out uh, for all various reasons. Uh, how would, what's the best channel to do that for you? Yeah, I mean, just drop me an email. I'm happy to talk. It's just Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y at PixHealth, P-Y-X-Health.com. I love this. Thank you so much. It's been Thank a lot of fun. Thank you for the opportunity. It was uh, the highlight of my birthday. So thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.